you may have never listened to Metal Shop, listen to this. You're going to really be brought back in, in time to how we old fogies listened to our heavy metal back in the 80s. And it wasn't easy. And thanks to Charlie Kendall and Metal Shop, we got some amazing metal that we discovered. Hey, this is Charlie Kendall. Metal Shop. And you're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. Got Mike, Tommy, Mark, no Lisa. Uh, any KISS-related stuff we need to talk about or plug? They've got one more show coming up in Sacramento, a festival. Tommy, you just saw them at Larger Than Life. I saw two and shows. Bo- and both, both of you guys were at, at West Palm. Anything mm-hmm. different? Anything new? Yeah, they didn't play three songs. <laughs> well, yeah, West Palm, because of weather, they started late, right? So they yeah. cut three yeah. songs from the set. And then it was a shorter set at Download because it was shorter set for everybody. Lar- larger Than Life, you mean? Larger than life, sorry, because when you play those festivals, they make them shorter, so we didn't have to hear Beth, which was awesome. Um, and they were great, I mean, absolutely. And that's no cut on Eric, he's a great singer. I just would rather hear him do mainline, but you know, I digress. Uh, it was just phenomenal. And I told Gene after the show, I said, This is one of my proudest moments ever as a Kiss fan to see that many people there some fans some not but everyone really enjoying it 70,000 people it. there was 70,000 people that's what they said which is so funny because it's like that that get that fact gets mentioned and then there's people who get online and go well they're leaving and it's like well no they they weren't oh, I was there and they're, I watched from the back and so, can, somebody actually said he saw like half the audience leave when when kids started like when their half- set is that like when half the people shushed us? Same. Yeah. Exact. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's, there's exactly. no. There's no. There's no. There's no recording of it. <laughs> but right. they say it happened. But there's a few quick things I want to point out. Um, first off, I was in the middle of it, far back, because I, I I've never seen a show this big before for them, and they had all four of the inflatable members mm-hmm. on the sides, which was cool to see that, and. Um, also, too, people started leaving at the Encore, which happens at every show I've ever been to. But people were into it. And I just look, if they were if they were clearing out, I'd say, yeah, he's right. They're clearing out. But they weren't. They were there and they were staying. So this nonsense of people bailing early is just nonsense. That's exactly what it is. Those people were there all day long, enjoying all the different artists we saw. Uh, several. We saw Alice Cooper, which is great with Kane Roberts. We also saw um, Rob Zombie. He was also excellent and, and many other bands. I, I want to also point out that um, they sounded great. And it was just, again, another wonderful memory to see them in another situation and, you know, get out there and see them. That's all I can say. I'm going again whenever I can. Well, they got one, like I said, they got one more show up in Sacramento at a festival, and then it's the cruises. Yep. But I think there'll be stuff next year. Well, again, I mean, 
months ago, Gene said there's a hundred more dates, right? Nothing's been said about when and where those dates will be. There's a lot of, a lot of rumors that they're going back to Europe because there's a number of fans who were because Paul said they were. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, because there, well, there's fans who were in Europe who talked to the band outside of the show and they were told the band's coming back. Yeah. And the, and doc, Doc also said to me that that they're working on everything for next year, that they're trying to set stuff up right now. Well, they have to. It's 50 years next year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it would be absolutely great. stupid to think they wouldn't tour or do something to celebrate 50 years as a band. But I think it'll be major markets. Number one, it won't be the secondary markets. And also, too, for any of you that see any of the photos and you're going to ask this question, I'm going to tell you they only had three of the pods for um louder than life which are the front three the reason none of the rest of them are there is because of the fact that alice cooper went on right before them and alice cooper had his whole stage including his castle and all that stuff so they had to navigate through all of that and they had to make concessions on both sides to make all the gear fit and work. So I think the reason that Kiss gave up the farther back pods is so that Alice could hang that that castle or however it, it's configured. But behind. Tommy, you know the reality is the fans who know the truth, even <laughs> though they didn't go to the show and have never booked a tour or promoted a tour, yeah. the reason there was only three pods is because Kiss is losing so much money they've had to scale back the show dramatically. From yeah, from because everyone West Palm Beach out. two nights earlier. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it, they didn't have the cats too. For those of you that were wondering, they didn't have the cats. Well, I mean, come on, it costs the, money to feed cat. those cats. They did oh, that's right. They cat. had one cat behind Eric. Maybe the yeah. other cat got killed uh, on the road somewhere. Could be eaten by a coyote. <laughs> exactly. But I'll, I'll, I'm processing photos, and when they're done, I will send them to Michael, and he will share them with you guys. I think incredible one so far. Yeah, the ones yeah. you've you've shared with us internally have been phenomenal. Some of you work on. I mean, let's 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 just be honest. The Kiss machine is still rolling, still huge. No matter how many detractors want to say otherwise. Right. As 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 Mark so fondly coined years ago, forget the haters, we won. And, and I've been at a festival where the headliner has cleared the place out. I know what that looks like, and that was Slayer. Literally cleared the whole freaking place out. There couldn't have been more than a thousand people in, if that, in VIP by the fourth or fifth song. That really? Case here, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're too. They were too heavy for too the heavy, rest not of mainstream enough. Too yeah, too heavy, and people are just like, I can't handle this. All right, Tommy gets hate mail in three, two, one. Slayer fans engage. I'm just. I mean, that's the no, and I'm not picking on Slayer. I just I know you're not. Happened before my I, eyes. I'm like Jesus. I, I know you're not, but there's going to be the contingent of people who love Slayer that are going to argue that fact although you witnessed it you lived it you know that's i just can't remember who the band was before them i i think it was jackal and they packed the place packed it slayer goes on by the fourth song gone yeah i've never seen such a mass exodus before hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that just proves you're a kiss apologist. Yeah, pretty much. I'm on the dime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Real quick mention, everybody. Please check out Three Sides of the Coin Radio when you yep. get a chance. It's 100% free. It works on all uh, Amazon Alexa devices, as well as the free Amazon Alexa app. If you don't own a device, just get the app and you can listen to it on your phone or your tablet. And all you got to do is say, Alexa, launch three sides of the coin radio, and you'll be listening to Kiss. Yep. Um, all right. I don't think there's anything else we need to talk about. Oh, real, real quick. And then this is just the new gold mines out oh the new ones with jeans covers and also the brand new the cream. new cream big that is yeah, yeah i i got my cream end of last week i haven't read it yet i was just impressed with the size and the quality of it and i got so, my gift and subscriber got a really cool gift and i'll, I'll actually i'm gonna have it displayed in here uh by the way, I purposely got the lights down. I, I came right from work. I look like five miles of bad road right now, and I feel like that, too. I'm just exhausted. So <laughs> it's... It's uh, it's Mark in the dungeon this week. Oh, my God, man. Um, cannot wait to get this over with, eat, and go to sleep. So, so today's guest is such a cool trip down memory lane. And... All you have to do is hear the introduction to his weekly syndicated metal show. And if you grew up listening, you are going to immediately be taken back to whatever town you grew up in, whatever parking lot you used to hang out in after after class or after work. We are joined by none other than Charlie Kendall from Metal Shop. And what a fun discussion about how Metal Shop came to be and how it died. It's, it's just, it's one of those timeline episodes that's so, so full of memories for everybody. Yeah, he's an amazing guest. Uh, he just had such an incredible impact. Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Three sides of the coin. Uh, I think I can speak for Tommy and Mark when I say this is a pretty damn cool honor and guest joining us today. This is somebody we, the three of us, and I'm sure many of our listeners grew up hearing his voice, and when you hear it, it will bring you back instantly to a moment where you were listening to Charlie Kendall from Metal Shop. <laughs> Nobody can do that. <laughs> no, the, no. Old, the only show with E.T. Yeah, I love that. So, yeah, so, it was so, a lot of fun to do. I had a great time with that show. It was the right show at the right time, and everybody told me it was it was never going to make it, and of course uh, they were wrong. Well, so Charlie, let let let's there, there's a whole bunch of stuff we want to talk about, but I think right off the bat, let's focus on Metal Shop. How did that start? You know, what was the what was the the spark that said 
you want to create metal shop and more importantly how hard was it to get people to jump on board because and we say this all the time on the show timeline means everything and if you were back in the day when metal shop first launched Heavy metal was not embraced like it is embraced now. Like basically today you turn on a classic rock station and it's a metal station. It's playing all of the stuff that metal shop used to be the only outlet to hear that music. So what kind of hurdles did you also have to overcome to, to, to make this happen? Oh, pretty much every hurdle you can possibly imagine. But you, you, you have to understand something. I'm, I was a musician um, about the same time I got into radio when I was 14 years old. And I liked Blue Cheer, you know, Summertime Blues. I liked Mystic Eyes by them, you know. I liked um, I'm a Man by the Yardbirds. Yeah. You know, I liked, you know, Wild Thing by the Trogs. I liked really loud, aggressive music. I always did. And when I became a disc jockey, uh, when I, said, I gave up the, the dream of being a, a, a playing musician. And, and I said, look, I'm just gonna focus on radio. Keeping a band together is about, I don't know how anybody does it. I still don't. It's one of the, gotta be one of the most difficult things in the world. And every musician that I've ever talked to says the same thing. It's hard as hell to keep a band together. A band, you know, not just a bunch of superstars, but I mean a band. Um, and I always liked that kind of music and I always tended to gravitate to it when I became successful as a, a disc jockey and then as a program director and got to New York, I just looked around and I said, these stations don't even play ZZ top for God's sake, you know, and I know the audience is out there that wants to hear it. And I knew that priest was coming up with an album. I knew some other things were going on. I knew Metallica was out there. And remember, I had a 15-year-old son at this point who's telling me, Metallica dead, Metallica. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, you're right. This is, this, you know, I just don't know if it's ever going to break through commercially. And I was, unfortunately, a little too correct about that. I did a pilot uh, called Hard Rock to Heavy Metal. It was a one-hour pilot, one-hour radio show that I did back in 1982, or maybe 83. No, it was 82. And I had Sammy Hagar as the uh, the featured guest. And I had another guy host it because it was held to put together and produce it and then do all that other stuff, plus run you know, a big radio station in Philadelphia. So we got it done, we got it put together. We didn't have a timeline to fight against because we weren't fighting against time. We just wanted a good quality product to come out and try to shop a show. And we put it out and Sammy was a pretty good guest at that time. He was doing solos after Montrose. And, and uh, there was just nothing. There wasn't a single nibble anywhere. ABC, NBC, Westwood One, nothing. Nobody was talking about anything. And I put it off and then suddenly I got promoted to New York uh, because I mean, <laughs> for WNEWFM, was literally circling the drain. It was about to go down the tubes. It had like a, a one share of the New York radio audience. I mean, nobody was listening. It was just dead in the water. And they, and it was the same company that owned the Philly station. They said, 
come to New York and fix this one. And I didn't stop. I didn't take a, a heart meeting. I went, yes, I'll be right there. And uh, I got there and I thought about it. And I sat down with a guy named John McGann, another guy named Denny Somak, who were two of the best uh, radio producers in the country at that time, in my opinion. And I said, guys, I got to get a, a good hard rock heavy metal show on the radio. You've got New York to anchor it. You should be able to get syndication around the country. And John McGann came back and he said, I took it everywhere. And uh, I got two offers and I'm going, okay. And then Denny comes back and says, I took it everywhere and I got nothing. Nobody wants to talk about it. And I said, okay, John, what have you got? And he told me about MJI Broadcasting. Uh, Josh Feigenbaum was the owner of the company and they had a couple of nice little shows that were good. And, but he said, I don't believe you. So John took him to see uh, Judas Priest at Madison Square Garden in New York. First time they had played the Garden. They played some little places, but not the Garden. And he came out of that going, I'm in. That's it. I'm there. And uh, that was uh, January, I think, of 1984. And by February, we were on the air with the show and off and running. And how many, everybody, how, how many stations 12, was it initially? Probably 12, 15, you know, but the word got out fast that people were responding. Because I don't have to tell you, in 1983 and 84, all of the young guys in this country wanted a 68 Camaro and they wanted a nice sound system in it that they could turn it up and listen to fucking Metallica, you know? That's what they wanted. And they weren't getting it. Nobody was giving it to them. There were some isolated outlets that were playing uh, a metal show at midnight. I mean, I think there was one in uh, Seattle that's still there. And I believe it may be called a metal shop. Um, although it wasn't at the time. that I was Ours playing. in Detroit was midnight metal on WRAF. We had one. Yeah, exactly. But there were some. But there was nothing big that had the big guys. So we were like, okay, we'll take it slow. <laughs> By the second show, you know, Gene Simmons and was calling going, I want to be on this show, you know, and, and Metallica. Yeah, they, all the guys lined up. They were like, yeah, we're in. And so we had the, the star power that came in. Uh, I had a, a great producer in John McGann uh, and another guy named Dave Schultz who was uh, the guy from MJI. And those two guys would go out basically and do the interviews. I'm running a radio station in New York. When people are in New York and they're coming to the station anyway, then I did the interviews. But that, you know, that happened one out of six or seven times of, you know, of shows uh, and interviews. And it just took off and went up to 250 stations in about three years. And then toward the 10th year, 1995, the radio consultants came along and said, you've got to stop using the word metal. Mm. It's a negative. And, and, I, and I, Josh says, what do we do? I said, if you stop saying the word metal, the show is dead. Do you understand that? But the consultants are going to pull it off the stations. I'm going, you might as well pull it off yourself because if you call it, he's, I said, the only thing to call it is the shop. And that says nothing. And, they're, and I said, 
these kids aren't dumb. They're going to know what's going on. You know, you're playing more grunge. You're doing this. You're doing alternative. You know, you've screwed it up. And um, that was that. About a year later, I told him it was going to end. And it went from 250 down to about 60 stations. You know, and I said, okay, I'm out. You know, you want to keep going, keep going. But I'm pulling the plug. I'm done. And that was the end of Metal Shop. And Were now, you? here's the other good news that you don't know yet, it probably. The show, 11 years, 584 shows, were in storage in New York. Clear Channel, which is now iHeartRadio, bought out MJI. They bought everything. And they were pressed with having to pay the storage fees for all of the MJI programs. So they told the storage houses to throw everything in there away. They threw away all of the masters, all of the interviews, everything from Metal Shop. They have nothing. There's nothing there. It's all gone. You know, I mean, I own the trademark and it's like, there's, you own nothing. <laughs> you know, awesome. Except what well, guys I, have put up on, on YouTube. I did a deep dive on Discogs. There's quite a few of the LPs. You can, you can get a lot of them. Obviously, it would cost you an arm and a leg to do that. But I mean, I I went in, you know, this is long before I knew you were going to be a, a guest on the show because I was looking for certain episodes. And uh, they, they give very vague descriptions, unfortunately. So, I mean, there's a there's a, a you know, people love this stuff still. Again, when Michael said you're going to be a guest, I was overjoyed. I couldn't wait to speak to you. Well, there are many, many people who have a whole lot of copies. And I've talked to like three guys who have just about all of them. None of them are willing to even sell them to me because it will decrease the value of, uh, of what they look at as their property. And a couple of these guys are, you know, European and they don't want to sell it because they don't want to diminish the value of, 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 of the shows they've got. I couldn't even buy them from them because I was going to, and there was all those stations you were just talking about, the classic rock stations, would actually take this show like they do Casey Kasem on the oldies and classic hit stations and probably run it on a classic rock at midnight on Saturday. But I can't get copies. I can't get them. That's just that 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 just kills me to hear that all of the master assets were just thrown away, that nobody was like well, let's just digitize them and then we'll throw them away, but at least we'll have a digitized version of it. I just, that's, that's, that's just so sad. And it seems like a perfect thing to put on Ozzy's Boneyard on Sirius XM. Yeah, no doubt. No you doubt. Know, that would be a perfect, something like that or hair nation, whatever on Sunday nights again, you know what I mean? Yeah. That would, yeah. I, I, I mean, would I mean, Charlie, you 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 mentioned like you know people are rebroadcasting Casey Kasem's top forty. I love listening to those. Me too. I, you know, oh, you know absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll on a Sunday afternoon turn it on and yeah, here's top forty from nineteen eighty two, and I'm like, man, what a what an awesome trip back in time. And if they did the same thing with Metal Shop, that would be a, a whole nother trip to go on. I, I tried. I started trying to work on that. 10 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And I've been working on it since. And I got down to the, the podcast idea of just taking the interviews out because 
I couldn't get the clearances for the music. You know, I, it, it was like <laughs> impossible. But the interviews with me wrapping around them, I figured pretty much that's mine. And they're not yeah. going to screw with me on that. And they haven't yet. That doesn't mean they won't. But they haven't at this particular point in time. And I'm also at another place, which is weird. You know, I've, I've only done four of the, the shows, and they're only five or six minutes long because I just take the, you know, the meat of the show, you know, the conversation and the interviews and some of the pizzazz and, you know, glitter. I put that into that little package. And I'm, I really don't regret anything I did in, in Metal Shop and pretty much anything I did in my life. At, but I don't want to live in the past. And I'm having a problem with that. So when I think about it, the only thing that really makes sense is to somehow get copies of this show and syndicate it out as it was, you know, just as it was, just like they do Casey Kasem. Yep. Not with me wrapping around it and talking about it today. To me, that's like, eh, it's not moving ahead. It's not moving forward. That's where I am on that right now. When 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 you first launched Metal Shop, what was the reaction from the various record labels at the time? Were they all were they into supporting this, or did they jump well, on they once you got syndication? Well, remember we were syndicated from day one. You know, it was it was never just on WNEW in New York. It was syndicated, even though it was you know ten fifteen stations. It was syndicated around the country. And they lined up because there was no other outlet for them to go to. Where else were they going? There was nowhere else for them to go, really. You know, and one of my producers along the way was Mark Snyder, D. Snyder's brother. You know, and, and uh, he's a, he was a great writer. And, man, he knew his metal inside out. And he was my producer, I think, for like seven, you know, seven, eight, maybe even eight years. Well, great. that makes sense and, to, due to the success that D had with House of Hair, which obviously, yeah. you know, came after, you know, what you, you know, brought to the world. You know, he did that for many years. Oh, he, he, he did a great job of it, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, he's, he's a natural showman. You know, he's, he's, he's D, for God's sake. No doubt. You know, getting, getting back to that, that was one of the things. It's funny because... <clears throat> On Sunday nights, I, I did this religiously. Um, I would record it, and then I'd listen to it in my car the next day. And you guys broke so much, you know, with the the fresh metal and breaking, you know, e even new releases. I remember the first time, and I believe it was you that was talking on the radio, the first time they played stuff off of Thrashes or Smashes Thrashes, um, and I remember hearing, you know, like the different mixes. I that was that was a you know metal shop did that, and I remember listening in my car, um, and just going, "Oh my god!" You know, because uh, obviously the mixes were different, and, and you guys like had a that was one of the records I was looking for. That was a really really cool episode when you guys, uh, you know, did a deep thing on Kiss, and it was right or, it was for the Smashes and Thrashes release. Um, and I what, just I found, what I found was that the musicians themselves, they were fans, too. And they would give us that stuff because they, they wanted to hear it. They wanted people to hear it. They wanted their fans to hear it. Nobody else would play it. You know, we were the only ones who would. 
yeah, it was, it's great stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> was, again, I, I, as Tommy said, I could really see this being a, a great thing on a hair nation on Sirius or, a, or a Ozzy's boneyard, a, you know, a Sunday night show, you know, relive these great, um, memories. Cause they are, I, I, I bet you, obviously a lot of folks who are going to tune in today would say the same thing because whenever we talk, you know, to other fans, they have so many similar experiences. And like I said, taping metal shop for me was mandatory. You know what I mean? If I was doing something else or whatever, but I always made sure I taped it and then I'd listen to it in the car the next day. And I just keep, that was a great thing back in the day uh, for you youngins out there. You could just re, you know, re-record over the next tape until it finally wore out. I would just have a couple <laughs> different cassettes, you know, that uh, were for metal yeah. shop and, you know, all was good. All was right with the world, man. So yeah, you, you had a big impact on me. That was uh, that was uh, a lot of fun. Ch- Charlie. I still get Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I, I still get like 20 emails or so every couple of months for people talking about what the show meant to them in a parking lot, in a mall, you know, in Des Moines. I mean, that's all they had. And all these kids would gather in a, in a parking lot that was in a, in a mall that was closed on, you know, Friday night or Saturday night or Sunday night or whatever the show was on. And uh, and turn it up loud and with the doors open and it was a party, and I think it was I forgot who it was somebody said once that people remember you most by the way you made them feel, and I think I think Metal Shop was blessed with being able to make a whole lot of people feel really good about the music that they like because. I think they got told a lot early on that that music sucked. What have you got? What are you listening to? That's trash. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you had, you, first of all, you had no competition to what you were playing because regular broadcast radio wasn't touching this music at all. It was, you know, oh my God, you know, KQ back in the early eighties would never touch rat or Motley Crue. I mean, that was just, that was, that was, terrible of them they they're they're playing the doors and pink floyd so metal shop was the only outlet the the metal fans and as we know it's a huge number of metal fans large fan base it's the only place we could get that music and feel like we were part of something well, yeah, yeah I mean, that in the concerts, you know. Yep. You know, that, I think the programmers and the, and the uh, radio consultants figured out later on when they would go to a giant stadium for and Motley Crue's in there and their crowd is nuts that wait, maybe there's something to this. Who knows? Well, and even if you look at the record stores back in the day as well, none of them supported any of this. So <clears> even <throat> in some of the height of the metal era, you'd still be pressed to find things because there was a lot of independent shop owners that didn't want to carry it because they didn't like it, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, so, the Motley crew, you know, pentangle and all that crap. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. yeah just anything. They, Cause they were, they were carrying Elvis Costello and Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp all are fine in their own right, but it's like, that's not for everybody. And if you liked metal, you were kind of frowned upon 
at most of the stores, at least in Minneapolis. They just didn't want to yeah. carry it. They begrudgingly sold it to you like it was like you're supposed to thank them for doing that. Yeah, well, I think it's another one that uh, one of the Chairman Mao or one of them always said, the more, the more you suppress something, the harder it's going to bust loose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, back, back then, if you were looking for metal, the, the record stores might, might is key here, have a dedicated metal section of two rows in the back. And that's, yeah. you know, that's, that's where anything that was heavier than REO Speedwagon was <laughs> relegated to, you yeah. know, so, so, and, 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 you know, it wasn't great choices. And that's, that's why fans like us ended up, you know, finding the import shops, the head shops, those, those places, which frankly took the lead as well, because they were bringing in metal from Europe. They were bringing in Kerrang magazine. They, they, they were bringing in 45s and, and, and stuff that, you know, music land just wouldn't touch. Well, Charlie's, yeah, Charlie's show was a big part of that. Like, you, Michael, I was going to add that, too. I used to drive across town just because one, one music store would carry Kerrang. You know, Kerrang was just as, as, as essential as taping, you know, metal shop, you know, and, and just as essential as going to get gold mine and scanning through the back to see what singles you could get because you know at that you know in the mid 80s i'm finding out that there's more songs to the new iron maiden album because they were releasing these b-sides in europe you know what i mean it was like oh my god i gotta have it all it was just it was such a fun thing to do and you know uh, without sounding too ass kissy that's what was so great about you know metal shop it was and you know, they played all kinds, like you said, new bands, um, you know, old bands. Just, it was just great. It was just a fun listen, man. And, uh, you know, really part of the whole lexicon of, of being a metal fan in the 80s. Thank you. I enjoyed doing it. Char Charlie, the, we, we got to ask you about the legendary intro for Metal Shop. I mean, you know, anybody who just hears the intro to Metal Shop, you're immediately... Without the music, you're immediately taken back to a time and a location. How did you come up with a metal shop? And, you know, the, 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 the razor sound. Take us into that. Talk about that. Well, as far as the audio signature, um, I have always loved audio signatures. <clears throat> and that's like the NBC tones. Doo, doo, doo. Going back that far you know, which is Orson Welles. He was the one I came up with that, you know, it was an audio signature. And I always thought that was very important. And I always did that with my stations. I did, I always had something that was unique to that radio station or to my show or to whatever it was that, you know, made it a, you know, a little hook, a little catch where you would, Oh, I know that. And it made you feel good. And I knew we needed an, a sound that would work for the show. And we had the name and I, I, somebody played it for me. He says, what do you think of this? And it was, it was the Yngwie thing. And I'm like, going, what? Yes, that's it. You know, that's the, that's the, the saw, you know, that's it. That's the metal saw. That's the thing. 
Now, what else? And John McGann uh, was involved with coming up with it with the uh, the stuttering metal shot, which was really a takeoff to, from my generation. That's where it started. That's where the idea began, and uh, they evolved it on up to uh, the stuttering metal shot. I mean, you really that's, did that's such an an amazing job because you know brand branding as we know nowadays is so important but back then you really created a, a recognizable visual and audio brand i mean the logo of metal shop alone is also extremely recognizable how about the address on the buildings the 666 oh that blew uh, me away the first yes. time i read that on the first show I, my eyes got big as I'm reading it, and I went six, 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 <laughs> and I'm like thinking in my mind, "Holy shit! I never thought about that." <laughs> and I played it up and had fun with it. But back to logos. My first big time radio breakout thing was 1975 in Cleveland at WMMS, and uh, they were the wrath of the buzzard. They used the buzzard for a logo. They had yep. an animated logo mm -hmm. of the buzzard that it's it's it exists to this day. It's like the buzzard logo to people from Cleveland, you know, the or the metal shop logo to people of Cleveland. I mean, they look at it and they know what it means. They know exactly what it's all about. And that was the visual part of it. And the we had we created a noise that we call the sonic reducer. I had a little rolling. Uh, synthesizer and we used a, a jet flyby and dynamite explosions uh, nuclear explosion sound effects and made it all into this one thing that was incredible what it what it sounded like the the sonic reducer and it was wmms Cleveland, and it was our thing and that was the first place I got involved with, with that kind of logo deal. From there, I went to Dallas, to KZEW, and their logo was an elephant because it was zoo, KZEW, the zoo. And so they used an elephant for theirs. And I got to MMR in Philadelphia and nothing was coming up. And, and I, I came up, I was doing a commercial for the local promoter or some show that was coming in. And I had been using punctuators, you know, just power chord guitars starting in about 1981. You know, it was a 93.3 WMMR. <laughs> wow. You know, a real strong power chord. And then Phil, Philadelphia. And I was really pissed off. And I did this thing and I said, Philadelphia. And I went, that's it. That's it. That's the logo. So I can't, I got Crocus album and I pulled out at the end of one of their songs. I forget which one it is, but it goes, da -da -da -da. and I did that. And then Philadelphia. And that is still their logo and their ID today. And that's 40 years ago. They're still using. <laughs> So I, I, I've always used those, and I think it's important to use those. That's what I don't know how anybody wouldn't know that's what branding was if they 
you know, <laughs> listen to Orson Welles or, uh, you know, somebody else who understands what it's, what it's about. Some people don't think of it though, you know, some people don't think about it, you know, it's, it's right in front of you and, and until you say, Hey, we're branding this and this is why we're doing it. Then the light bulb comes on. Well, Marshall McLuhan, that's what all the stuff that he was espousing in the sixties was, you know, about the medium is the message. It's what it makes you feel. If you can translate that feeling to a sound or a visual, you win, period. That's the end of the thing. And you did. I mean, that the, the, the audio signature for Metal Shop screams metal. Yeah, it, 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 did, it did the job. It actually still does. But, you know, to put together that show now, I wouldn't, I, I don't know where to start. You know, there really isn't a syndicator out there. Well, you know, here's here's the thing, you know, to to put together like a a a metal shop 2.0 now, a new version of it. Sadly, I don't think it would have the impact because, you know, as I said early on in our in our interview here, tune into any classic rock station and not all they play is metal now you know you'll listen to motley Crue and rat and def leppard and metallica and you know so so metal is is not the ostracized child kicked to the dirt anymore it you know people are like yeah metal is what all these 40 and 50 year old wallets are supporting and and like so you know and, and, you know, there's there's metal shows everywhere these days. So, you know, I feel like, and this isn't a, a critique of your ability, but I just think Metal Shop today, as we talked about with podcasts earlier, Metal Shop would just get lost in the noise of all of the other people who are completely embracing metal music. No, no, the resources to, to get something like that going are, are larger than I would care to deal with. And I think larger than what any returns would be. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's, it would be. It's not there. It's just not, it's, you know, it's, we it's, had, yeah. You said it earlier. The labels supported us from the, from the get-go, from the beginning. The labels were there buying ads in the show because they wanted their artists promoted during that show. Because mm-hmm. the ad went straight to their buyer. And nobody else did. Yeah, we, what, there's there's one thing I, I wanted to, to kind of, I'm glad that you, you moved this the subject to, you know, a 2.0 sort of thing, because I want to ask someone like you, Charlie, who's been in the business for many, many years. For me, I still love when my favorite classic artists, you know, be it Aerosmith or Alice Cooper or whoever, and obviously Kiss, I'm saddened that a lot of them don't release new music because there's no place to be heard, what would you suggest? And again, I'm just picking your brain a little bit, and I don't even know if there's even an answer to this question, but how does, how do ears get to hear, you know, the new Iron Maiden, the new Judas Priest, the new Alice Cooper, the new Kiss? If there is such a thing, what, you know, it, 
is is the, is there a place for that music on like a, a metal shop 2.0 and and how would you go about handling that what what do you what is your opinion on that sort of thing how how do we how do we get people to hear these great later day albums the thing about metal shop is it came in the back door okay they didn't see it coming we came in the back door we got in there 11 12 o'clock friday saturday even sunday night and, and nobody saw us coming and nobody expected anything other than this will get, you know, when somebody calls for, for Ozzy, you know, tell them to listen Friday night at midnight. You know, this, this, that's what the PDs were thinking. You know, I'll, I'll get those, those damn pesky, you know, request people you know, <laughs> off my back. And, uh, and, and that worked, but there's, there's no place to do that. There's, there's no central gathering spot like there was in radio, you know, it's not there. If I were to want to do something today, I would want it to be all encompassing. I want it to be on radio. I want it to be on television. I want it to be on TV streaming. I want it to be on a podcast. I want it to be on the radio. I want it to be every damn where. I want it to be anywhere you happen to move. I want to be there waiting for you. But that is an enormous investment. Yeah, there's a real world example of this right now, Charlie, is the new Ozzy Osbourne. He just released a new record. And if there was a lot of hype moving up to seeing him supposedly perform at the halftime of the opening NFL game. And what did he get? Oh, four boy. seconds? You know what I mean? What a mess. And, and from what that I'm hearing. Awful. Yeah, I know. I, I hear the the record is, you know, well, for physical records, it's selling well for, you know, in 2022 standards. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't think that there's much legs. There, there's legs for that stuff. I will tell you, I, I'm a huge Ozzy Osbourne fan and I really loved the last record. But I mean, it really it like came in a cycle and went. And I think this new one's going to do the same thing. And it's really too bad because I, Ozzy's still putting out top-notch material. Um, I don't know, you know, the, what's going on behind it, but the, the people he has writing and performing and producing him, man, he's defying all odds. This, this new stuff is fantastic. And I thought The Ordinary Man was fantastic as well. But that's coming from a, you know, a 57-year-old man who's been an Ozzy fan for, you know, many, many years. Are the kids able to hear this? And I don't think they are. And it's it's kind of a bummer that they're not going to, you know, have any. Because pl- when we were kids, it was on the radio. I mean, if there was a new Ozzy album that came out, you, you got bombarded yeah. with it through MTV and through the radio. It's, it's, it's such a drag that, again, you know, going back to like I said, you know, when Deep Purple still releases a kick-ass album, and you'll never hear it. You won't hear any of it on the radio. It won't even get a chance. So it's, it just it bums me out because some of these bands have put out have put out Alice Cooper's a, a great example, some some incredible music in their later years. And it just went nowhere. I'm, I'm watching this the new commercial that's running uh, for Sirius, you know, with Alice on it. And there's three or four of them. And Alice is great in all of them. You know, it's like he's getting more mileage out of that than he does touring. You know, I mean, you, you, you don't hear about Alice a lot. You know, his shows come through and there's a buzz about that. And that's all good. 
But for him to get the kind of exposure he's getting, um, you know, on Netflix and Hulu and, um, you know, Tubi and all of these other, you know, TV streaming outlets, you know, Sirius is really pumping through those. That's who they're out there, you know, looking for the new audience for. Um, at this Speak. particular point in time, Sirius has the most, I would say, solid configuration of listeners than than any other platform. Which is, hey, you know, is bad because I don't think they're that good, <clears throat> but they're it. Hey, this is again a, 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 using using your um, you know your knowledge. Um, of, of, of promotion and all this stuff. And this is a, an open question for the, for, you know, Tommy and Michael and yourself, Charlie. Yesterday, I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about this subject. You just happened to be on it, you know, new music, old bands. And then we were, then we, then we switched subjects to, you know, what that recent stadium tour with Motley Crue and Poison and Def Leppard and Joan Jett was a, it looked to be a huge success. My friend said, how come KISS doesn't do that? And this is what I want to open up to Charlie, you, Michael, and Tommy. If KISS were to do a stadium tour to, to do something like what Motley Crue did with, with, uh, with Def Leppard, what should the other three bands be? Oh, wow. <laughs> Michael. I mean, it's Michael. Well, you know, I, I, I would, you know, off the top of my head, it would should include Alice Cooper. That was one that we, we not thought. not not that the band is is active anymore, but Twisted Sister would have been a great addition to like a Kiss Stadium tour. Um, because I'm 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 thinking you know it needs you know Wasp <clears throat> like Kiss Wasp Alice Cooper Twisted Sister like the the theatrics from Hell Stadium tour. My friends, my friend and I, we came up with only three. We could not think of a, the, our fourth would be good for us personally, but I don't know if it would help sell tickets nationally. Kiss headlined, it's one, Judas Priest, Alice Cooper. And our fourth was Cheap Trick. But I don't know if they put feats in the seats. What do, what do you guys think? If, if Kiss went, you know what, we're going to do, our final tour, and it's going to be a stadium tour, you know, and, and it's going to look like the very successful Motley Def Leppard one. What do you guys, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Tom. Yes, with um, Slipknot and Lamb of God. Oh, you're really? mixing it up. You're mixing it up. I like where you're going, though. But it's, oh, all, yeah. it's, it's all pyro. The younger kids would be into it and they would stick around to see the kiss show because that's literally how you would you would get people in the stadiums is you have to bring a piece of that in you know who's the fourth Connie? in this moment slayer slayer <laughs> slayer <laughs> fucking slayer fucking slayer yeah i would do in this moment <laughs> yeah you know i think i think it that the lineup has to be driven by what what are they trying to create are they trying to introduce younger kids to these older bands or are they trying to put together a package that brings back memories for 40 and 50 year olds you know if if all you're interested in it is is filling it and packing it with 40 and 50 year olds then i'm not sure you know 
a lineup like Tommy mentioned would be good, but the classic bands would be more in tune for them. Um, you know, I also would, you know, and Charlie, you and I have sort of chatted about this offline before, but you know, the whole concept of would kiss even be taken seriously enough to headline a stadium tour? Would people just go, it's kiss. Come on. I mean, you know, they, they've always had, people have always looked down their noses at kiss from day one, a band that can't play a band. That's got no songs. <laughs> All they are is makeup and pyro. Now we know that's not true. No band lasts 50 years just on pyro, but you know, the industry itself has always kind of snubbed kiss as those outsiders who we didn't like and god damn it they're successful no matter how hard we tried to keep them from being successful well, and i looked at it from the point vantage point of what pearl jam did when they brought uh, neil young out on tour you know the godfather of grunge you'll call him what you want even though neil young is as far removed from pearl jam as it gets that's why I was thinking you'd get people showing up to see all of this. And Slipknot is, I think, one of the, the biggest touring acts right now in the world. You know, I mean, you could say Iron Maiden. People would love that, but I don't think Iron Maiden would do something like that. You know, but maybe I they think, wouldn't. I think the, the key is to have each band, whoever the bands are, each of them must have their own completely rabid fans who are yeah. going to show up they they have to have their own group of fans who will not fight with the other bands fans who have to all be rabid i mean they've got to be hardcore fans of every group that's there no group can be short in this game and that would be what i would worry about with cheap trick i love cheap trick i think they're a great fan but I don't know if their fans are that uh, yeah, because you can see are. them. It seems anytime. I, I will tell yeah, you, I, I, I like I I love Joan Jett too. I was really surprised that she was on that bill with those other three bands. It, it's like which one of these things doesn't belong, you know? I it just didn't. I did, but you know, she went over well, and hey, that's that's a good thing. I I personally didn't go to the tour. Um, you know, I, 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 matter of fact, I, I know I was joking with uh, these guys, uh, you know, too, you know, like Def Leppard They're and I get it. They're going to play the, you know, all the big hits and stuff, but you know, I like the first two records. I just like the, 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 you know, the hard rock and metal, if you will, Def Leppard and, you know, Motley, boy, the things I said, they were just a mess. Um, but then again, I didn't go and I'm not poo-pooing the tour. So before people start going, oh, my God, well, I, I just didn't go. Like I said, I'm not a Poison fan. And if I wanted to go see Joan Jett, I'll go see her in a club because I think that's where she shines, you know, or a small theater. That's where she shines. The well, I think another thing that, that's going to be there and could be a part of this is it, to have it, a ticket that people can afford. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, yep. yeah. This, this thing with five thousand dollar tickets. You know, I, I, that is industry killing bullshit. 
Well, you, you know, got to remember though what it was, game. and and the the Stones were the first ones to do it, and I remember really thinking it was a shitty thing to do, until I saw it through their eyes. You do, I mean, I hope everybody in our audience realizes those crazy ticket prices aren't set in stone. That's what those best seats go for. What the artists were trying to do, and what they did, is they saw what they were going on the aftermarket. So they're like, you know what? Front row is going to be a thousand dollars, and if people buy it, cool. If they don't buy the, you know, by the start of the, you know, the show, if it's not, you know, sold six months before, you know, they put it down to normal price come the day of the show. But that's what they were trying to do because I, I remember the first time I ever bought bootleg tickets. First time was to go see Deep Purple on the Perfect Strangers tour. I wanted really good seats, and I remember thinking. I paid $35 a piece for my, for my two tickets when those tickets were like 14 bucks. And Did I'm you buy like, it from Mike Damone? <laughs> pretty yeah, much. Mike <laughs> I had to, it was funny. I, anyways, I said to my buddy, I'm like, man, it's like 35 bucks. So we we're huge deep purple fans. We ended up getting fifth row center, but you know, it was, but $35 for a concert ticket in 1984. Oh my God. You know, it was like, who does that? I just remember feeling I got ripped off. You know, it, now in retrospect, it's funny. That's like the service fee now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, the that's, the, that's the fee you pay for the right to print out your ticket. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. But yeah, I mean, times have changed. That's, that's why that exists, though, those premium ticket prices. So if somebody does want to get nutty and spend, five grand also got to remember too unfortunately that's part of the corporate world where some especially for someone like bruce springsteen somebody will buy those seats for some astronomical price to give to somebody who's maybe in charge of a two you know billion dollar project and he's a springsteen fan and you know someone will spend five thousand dollars to well, you know i mean give them to somebody. mark mark what, what you talked about basically just comes down to the artists were are tired of seeing everybody else make all the money off of their yeah. tickets and they're like i want the money if, if yeah, there's gonna be money right to be made good. i want the money myself yeah I like and, i'm not saying it's right or good it yeah. just is it is. That's that's what it is. I mean, when when we first started the VIP ticket programs back in 2003, I mean, that's that's what drove that. It's like, you know, I remember thinking to myself, well, gee, Kiss fans were paying seven hundred and fifty dollars a ticket to scalpers to see Kiss on the reunion tour. Wouldn't it be great if Kiss made that money instead of the scalper? You know, that's that that's the business part of the music business, whether you like it or not. Um, Charlie, before, before we wrap up here, let me, let's pick your brain. Do you have any specific metal shop memories about kiss or Ace Fraley or Vinnie Vincent? I mean, they, they, you did a lot of premieres and feature interviews and segments on them through the years. Anything come to mind? Not necessarily. I mean, they were always great. Um, I've heard different people have trouble with them. They, you know, a little prima donna-ish here and there on this, that, and the other. But I never saw any of that because 
I never looked at them as anything other than a, uh, a genuine artifact. I mean, they were the real deal. You know, they, they were they were authentic. They, yeah, they wore makeup. Yeah, they did this. Yeah, but the shit kicks ass, you know, and I do that and I tried to project that. And so we never had an issue. Uh, they were great on interviews. They were great in giving us anything we ever needed. And uh, they gave us copies <laughs> copies of songs that I'm not sure are anywhere else other than on our Smashes, Smashes, and Hits uh, special. You know, I, <laughs> I haven't seen them anywhere. <clears throat> so there's nothing that I could tell. I'll qualify that. Okay. There's some stories. But no, that's not... You don't do that. <laughs> you don't tell those stories. There you go. You don't tell those stories. You don't tell those stories until everybody else <clears throat> is dead who might get mad at you for telling the story, right? <laughs> I don't even know if I would tell it then. It's just, it, it, it's irrelevant. They were, they were moments between <laughs> me and some other human beings, more so than just a couple of guys in, uh, in Aerosmith or, uh, or in Kiss or a couple of other bands. I actually <laughs> got lost on a tour bus, and I, I will say this, with uh, Leonard Skinner. I got on the tour bus uh, after a show in Cleveland and woke up two days later in Cincinnati <laughs> on the tour bus. So you lost a whole day? <laughs> two days. Uh, two days. It was the 70s. Okay, this is like 1975. And I, <laughs> wow. I, to this day, I have no idea what happened. And so far, uh, no one's come to arrest me. So I, I'm taking <laughs> that as a good, I take that as a good sign. Yeah, I would be very happy about that. <laughs> were, were you the sole person in charge of saying this band, this music, fits metal shop and sorry, but that's not metal enough for us to play. My producers and me and uh, well, it, to some degrees, the, the management of MJI, uh, not just so much as, as the affiliate relations guy, a guy named Gary Krantz, who's still around out there. Gary was the one dealing with the stations and they were pushing, they would push him on things. And I remember early on, uh, you know, Suddenly, uh, Bon Jovi's in there, and I'm like going, um, well, they're a good hard rocking band, but it's the number one song in the country. Yeah, but it's not metal. Please, please, please. Fine, you know, and then that would be that. So, well, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and, a- and, and if they had the number one song in the country, <clears throat> I'm as a fan, I'm sitting there going, well, they don't belong on metal shop then if they're already getting airplay everywhere else, they don't belong on yeah. metal shop for that reason alone. Metal shop is here to play the bands who the rest of radio won't touch. That's what I adhered to that. And that was my mantra, but I didn't always win. I mean, there were times where I didn't win and it wasn't worth the fight. You know, it was going to be a fight. Did you have, did you, you know, because we're talking about metal, <clears throat> Um, did you have stations pushing back going, 
Uh, no, we can't do Slayer. They're satanic. Uh, no, you know, pentagrams, Motley Crue. No, no, no. Those you... never came to me. Those, those program directors or music directors or whoever they were, uh, they took that up to, to Gary Cranch usually because uh, <laughs> I was known not to, please don't mess with me, you know. <laughs> I, I, will, I will, at that point, compare myself just a little bit to Gene in that, I'm I'm your best friend. I told you to fuck with me. Then right. I'm not. You know, and I was running the number one station on the planet at the time. So what are you going to tell me? So so even I'll though it, it, they didn't <laughs> tell you, it what it sounds like what you're saying is there were there were issues that people might have brought it, complaints up to to other people in MJI, but it wasn't directly brought to you. No, never. No, there were there were guys in the you know early and mid '80s who were running big time radio stations who thought the hardest thing they should play on their station, you know, was Supertramp. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and 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 it was and all I can do is discount everything else they have to say. <laughs> yep. Why don't you play any Supertramp? I gotta go now. I'll see ya. Bye. <laughs> you. Bye. Know? So, so, so Charlie, you, you mentioned this briefly earlier in our conversation, you're doing, you've actually got two podcasts, but one of them is a metal shop podcast. Um, where can people find your podcasts? How often are you doing them? Um, cause I want to well, get, get our listeners. Michael, Michael I, have to, I have to stop you right here. I, I've done four issues of Charlie Kendall's metal shop and four issues of Charlie Kendall Rides Again. Metal Shop, we know what that is. Charlie Kendall Rides Again was just whatever I felt like doing at the time, you know, and I I believe in short podcasts. What have we been talking for an hour here? Yep. I, mine are no longer than five minutes. You know, to me, I've run out of things to say at that point. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to do the Metal Shop thing anymore. I don't know. I'm not finding the value in it at this point and i think it i my attention is best served at trying to find a way to get as many copies of the show as i can and get them in into syndication somehow to me that's what i'm going to do with, with metal shop and it, with my time there and with charlie kendall rides again i don't know you know i'm not sure what i'm going to do because I, I end up doing a lot of things looking backwards because when you're 70 years old you're you know you're there's not a lot what are you looking forward to? Well, I know what I did and I'm proud of what I did, but do I have anything else to do? Do I have anything else to say? Well, I'm not going to find out unless I look forward. And right now I'm, I'm looking at reoriented my gaze. If I were going to start again, I would find a guy named, like Michael to point me in the right direction for an audience that might be there and then steer all of it in that direction. You know, or or tell me you're too old. Get the fuck out of the way. Thank you. <laughs> Any of which is fine. You know, can I be of help to someone else? Great. I'll be happy to. That's that's where I'm at. I that that that's a good attitude to have. I mean, it's you you you've got you've got you've got a lot of fans and followers of metal shop and and i think part of what your challenge is 
is to let those fans and followers know that you and metal shop are still here. They, they may think you guys, you disappeared decades ago. And you know that, and that's the challenge a lot of the bands from back in the day are facing. It's like, how do I let those fans who came to see me, you know, during the heyday of the eighties know that I've got a new album coming out, you know, it, it, it it's a challenge to, to find the audience and let them know. But I know the audience is out there. Um, it's just a little more work because you got to find them yourself these days. You don't have, you don't have a record label. You don't have a, you know, an MJI who that's their job to go out and do all that and let Charlie, yeah, just they do Charlie that. and create. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to, you know, looking at it because I'm only on YouTube. You know, that's the only place I am. Uh, I, I tried going into the other things into anchor and then spinning it out to Spotify and, and, uh, and, um, you know, Apple. And I was like, this is too freaking confusing. And I don't know if I like this and, and, and I'm not in my element and I need to talk to somebody like Michael to, you know, fill me in on how to do this right. Or tell me to get out of the way. Well, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's give let's give Metal Shop podcast one more shot here to get it into the audience and see if they embrace it. Michael has the answers. Yeah, if if it's got an audience, great. Let's let's play with it. You know, if if it if I can't move forward with it, I I I don't want to uh, I don't want to deal with it. You know, as as the uh, American Native American said. Uh, leave that old Indian behind. You know, we're going uh... <laughs> Well, Charlie, um, this has been a great pleasure for the three of us. And I know Thanks, for Charlie. so many of our listeners, because again, you've heard this countless times. We grew up every weekend listening to Metal Shop and, and knowing that as soon as we heard that audio introduction, this is going to be a great show you know i may not know what bands you're playing but i know it's going to be something good and i know you're going to have good interviews so you know this is this is this is a great flashback for us um to sit here with you and just hear your stories and pick your brain on how metal shop came to be my pleasure (laughs) that was just such a trip down memory lane really was i mean his his voice is so distinct and memorable and Mm -hmm. you know mark like you talked about you know i think for us in the twin cities maybe metal shop was on a saturday night i don't remember for sure this was a sunday i remember it. the reason i taped it is because i wanted to go to bed because i worked construction and to be up early and well that that was that was always the thing it's like it was always like a midnight to 1 a.m show so where, you know, you, you had to build your weekend schedule around the fact that you needed to be somewhere where you could hit the record button on a cassette tape to tape this. Jam box, end of my bed, hit record. And I went to, and I just turned the volume off. And, and go to sleep. To yep. 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 Exactly. And I had one of the automatic flip over things on my. It automatically box. reverses. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yep. So. Yep. I mean, again, I mean, we, 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 we joke about it, but that, 
timeline. I mean, that that's that's what we did back in the 80s to get our medal. We you would you would you would build your schedule of activities around the fact that you needed if you couldn't be near a tape player to hit the record, you had to at least be near a radio so you could listen. And that might mean, okay, we got to get out of the bar and get into the car to drive home by midnight so I can listen while we're driving home. Sometimes I'd listen to the first bit and then I'd record the last. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things. I never wanted to miss the show. Never. I'll tell you what, one of the cool things about that show is it opened my eyes because, again, I was not a hair metal guy at all, as I've ranted many times about here. But he would play bands that I thought were hair metal. I'll give a great examples, Faster Pussycat. And I'd go, hey, these guys are the real deal. This is a great fucking rock and roll band. And I'm like, right. I judge them by what they look like. That's you know how I mean? we discovered music. It wasn't yes. being played on the radio because, again, the radio station, the rock station that would put Metal Shop on at midnight on a weekend, Wouldn't the rest play... of the time was playing The Doors, Pink Floyd, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. Um, you know, maybe some deep purple. They weren't even playing kiss, you know, anything even remotely hard rock metalish was looked down upon back then. Just let's put this way. Everything you hear on your local rock station today, they would have, they would have ran away from 40 years ago, avoided it like the plague. We will never touch rat round and round. Scorpions rock you like a hurricane. No way. Hair metal. That's that's a fad. You know, Motley Crue. It doesn't matter. You name the band, they wouldn't touch it. So we had to listen to Metal Shop to discover bands. And once Metal Shop got its foothold, they were doing a lot of world premieres i remember metal yeah. shop was the first place to play ace fraley's new solo album they, they remember pre- i remember they, pre- they premiered that. call was it calling to you no it was uh or into the night into the night into the night yes. yeah i they they premiered I I into the night well. well i was i was actually in college radio at the time and we were carrying metal shop so i would get the metal shop discs and we would play those. I just wanted to do it because it was Metal Shop. And I remember getting it going, holy shit, this is the new Ace Fraley. I can listen to this. And I'm like, how do I, how do I take the Ace Fraley song off of this disc so I can play it normally? Because the problem was they had talk over. You know, back then it wasn't talk, stop, and then play. They the the DJ would like kind of talk over the intro to the song and talk over the ending of the song. I was like, fuck, how do I get those, the, the voiceovers removed from this so I could just get the Ace Fraley brand new single. Um, yeah, Metal Shop was it. I mean, they were doing interviews. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were it. They were it back in the time. And, and you know, to have Charlie on is just, I don't know, it just... This reminded me, remember the episode we had Howard Johnson from Rock Candy and Kerrang! Magazine on? It was just like, you know, thank you. Kerrang! and Metal Shop, that was the youth of metal back in the 80s. That's, 
those two things are where we found, where we read, and where we listened to metal. Amen. So homework, homework, I guess, is, you know, if you're old enough, do you remember listening to Metal Shop? What are some of your me favorite memories of listening to Metal Shop? Do you have any? Did you record any? You Did, yeah. Well, yeah. So for Charlie's sake, do you have any recordings? Do you have any of the vinyl? Because as he said, iHeartMedia threw everything away. Every master disc interview recording voice track all gone so charlie really wants as as we just heard he really would love to do something here but he's got no assets he doesn't have this stuff right so do you have it do you have it how many do you have you know would you be willing to share it with charlie because he, he he wants to you know, put a little life into metal shop, which good for him. I mean, it was such an important, again, it was such an important part of heavy metal and, and the, and the explosion and the birth of heavy metal. It's, it's hard to imagine today because you can get your metal shows anywhere you want nowadays, but back in the mid eighties, this was it. Yeah, there just wasn't anything else. It's it, that's, and that's the hardest people think for people to understand is how truly different it was before the internet. Yeah, night yeah. and day. I mean, you either read about it in Krang and went and bought the record and listened to it, or you heard it on Metal Shop. That yep. kind of was the only two choices. Although, to be fair, MTV was all yeah. over metal as well, so. But but they 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 were they were playing the the Bon Jovi's the the number one bands of the world. They weren't until Headbangers Ball came along. They weren't digging deep into the smaller, well, I, the newer, well, the unheard of. I will tell you, I re I remember when I got the Sea Hags record, which is just a kick ass hard rock album. I remember hearing that on Metal Shop, and I'm like. Yeah. You know, I didn't know anything about the Sea Hags and then I went out and bought it. It was fucking yep. awesome. Yep. You know, yep. There so, were lots of bands. I have a lot of records I bought that way because of shows like Metal Shop, not just that one, but shows like that. You know, they'd give those bands, uh, you know, a shot and they'd play a single and you're like, oh, fuck, I like that. That's good. You know, and if you've never listened to Metal Shop, head, head over to YouTube and just just search for Metal Shop. There's there's. You can find some episodes. There's not like every episode is not up there, but you can find. That's a shame. What was that? That's a shame. Yeah, it they, is. They should be, you know, they, they should be archived. It, it, it should be. It's a moment in time. You know, it's 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 interviews, it's comments, it's, you know, they'd have fans that would leave a voicemail to ask a question to an artist and then, mm -hmm. you know, the artist would answer it. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was great. It was just great to be a metal fan and have metal shop. So if you've never listened to it, go find it on, on YouTube, give it a listen. It's a nice trip back. It's even more interesting. If the episode on YouTube kept all the old commercials in, I love these old shows. And when you hear the old radio commercials, because quite often those commercials were burned right into the disc that the station was given. 
And then the state that, I mean, that's literally how these were played. People is yeah. metal shop was an LP. And once a week, the radio station, we'd get a cardboard box and there's our new metal shop episode with the cue sheet in there. And at your hour, when you want to play it, you just drop the needle on this and walk away. There you can walk away and the show is just running. I mean, they, they would give you opportunities in there for the, the local station to maybe put IDs. in a local ad, an ID, but it was like, you know, set it and forget it. Type they of were thing. all nationally, they were all national advertisers. Lots of army ads. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Budweiser, army, yeah. <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Um yeah, such good memories. So yeah, there's your homework. Do you remember Metal Shop? Uh, favorite episodes? Go listen to it if you haven't. Let us know if you've got episodes, and we'll 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 connect you with Charlie because maybe he can do something with it. Um, and just one more quick mention before while we're on the topic of radio, don't forget about three sides of the coin radio. Yep. Not now you can listen to Kiss twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. Doesn't matter what your radio station plays. All you got to do, go to your Amazon Alexa device and just ask it to launch three sides of the coin radio. That's it. That's it. Right it's now, we got Charlie Benante's playlist up there. Just got uh, PJ Farley from Trickster. Got a playlist from him. Got a Ron Keel playlist coming in. Um, you know. Many more to come. Many more to come. I would also ask as a homework question for those of you who have listened to three sides of the coin radio, what do you think of it? That's just it. What do you think? Is it fun? Do you enjoy it? Do you like these guest playlists? Cause we started with Eddie trunk. We've got, like I said, we've got Charlie Benante right now. We've got more coming up. Um, feedback helps us decide what to do and what not to do. So let us know. Um, that's it three sides of the coin we're out of here we'll see everybody next week Do you have something to say leave a voicemail or send us a text message call 320-515-4771 voices for three sides of the coin provided by larry and by jessica mars that's mars with a z